Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. A um, few things I have to say. One is we personally are involved both as a lifestyle, a ketogenic diet, but also through my 16 years of clinical practice of what is effective. What do people need to take sometimes, all the time, to support their ketogenic diet? You'll get bits and pieces of this ongoing week after week. It's important to be comprehensive. In one way, it's simple. and one way, it's a little bit complicated. Well, welcome everybody back for another episode of the Keto Matchpath. This is Dr. Carl Goldcamp, and we are going to continue with a journey we've been working on with Brian, a keto newbie. And I say that in no pejorative way at all, just to say that Brian was brand new to starting a ketogenic diet. We've gone through some basic steps. We've gone through the creation of macros, the tracking of macros, the using of chronometer as a macro tracker, now getting into the ketones and the glucose blood levels. And it's been an, an amazing journey to watch on the outside. You know, once you take this train and have did this trip, you know where it leads. But when you see somebody else get on for the first time, you can't help but thinking, they're going to have a pretty interesting trip and I can't wait to see the, you know what happens. And so that's how it has been with Brian. So anyways, welcome, Brian. So you got a week to explain to yourself, and I have some, I'm looking at your chronometers because we set up so we could share each other's, uh, I can share yours, that is, and um, you know, I, I, I know you're such a techie guy that this is probably painfully accurate to the nth degree, but you're now down 27 pounds, not that that was the objective, it was one of the side objectives, you're... I see what you're eating on a regular basis, both in terms of calories and, and content. Do you, it sounds like it's a piece of cake. Has it just been a piece of cake or like something must have gotten in your way someplace? Because it's, it's, it's remarkable. I think you're doing really well. You know, uh, yeah, I'd say for the most part, it is a piece of cake. However, I was naively thinking that I could eat a bunch of different things. But what I realized is that even still, even though I'm at the point where, you know, I can eat a bunch of stuff throughout the day and know that I'm fine within my macros. And then like later on in the evening, I'll go ahead and I'll enter in what it was that I ate during that day. What I, what I find interesting is that, you know, you'll, you'll get surprised here or there. And, you know, it's always a little bit of an adventure when you go to new places to get food. I'm not sure if I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I felt that I was a bit thwarted um, at Trader Joe's. I picked up uh, two tubs of this chicken salad over there, and one of them seemed, okay, decent. The other one uh, seemed good, too. I grabbed them both, and then I realized upon further inspection, and of course, like, after nearly finishing one of them, which to me tasted... Um, you know, not necessarily the best. I read the label and I realized that it was some reduced guilt garbage, you know, something or rather with like less fat, whatever. And what doesn't make any sense to me is if you're going to make a product that's like reduced fat or something, now mind you, I didn't intentionally buy it. It was, it was an accident, but why are you going to put a whole bunch of sugar in whatever the heck that is? If you're trying to make it reduced anything, I just feel like it's so counterproductive. You're right. I guess coleslaw is in that category. Mm -hmm. Certainly, your ketchups, your condiments. It's even in it's even in mayo. You know, we make our own mayo, but and and uh, you've given a shot at that as well. But it's like absolutely. I don't know the why on that, other than they think the people who are buying it, their audience in essence, need sugar, and it's just like everything seems to start with sugar and work backwards to the direction they want to go to. It's like, all right, sugar with tomato, that's ketchup. Sugar with eggs and vinegar, that's mayo. Sugar with da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, I actually had a try. I tried cauliflower, excuse me, not cauliflower, coleslaw last night while, when I was at the diner. 
Which brings me to the next quick segue. Um, I actually drank alcohol for the first time since I started keto. Um, and I was really surprised. I went out with a buddy of mine last night. We used to go out and drink tons of beers together, but obviously I don't really do that too much anymore because of the, the whole keto thing. So I chose to drink whiskey instead. And I had my first one and I had to drink it real slow because I had a, kind of a big gulp going into it. And I realized that the onset of the effect of the alcohol is pretty quick, a lot quicker than I had assumed. And, you know, I finished that first drink and I think I was already, I was only like halfway through my second, uh, my second drink when I realized, okay, you've got a really heavy buzz and two, you're definitely intoxicated enough to try to coerce someone into taking you to a diner right now. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was successful and I did make it to a diner, but that was actually my, the only revelation that I made that night was uh, one of two revelations. A, um, alcohol will absolutely kick your ass um, if you're on keto. So please be careful. And uh, the second one being that, yeah, uh, be careful when you're eating coleslaw because I took one bite of coleslaw and I was like, yeah, there's definitely sugar in that bad boy. But um, if anybody's curious regarding what my numbers were today post or what the Please. effects were for me, because I'm going to be really I'm going to keep it super candid with you guys. I definitely was borderline uh, drunk and that might be my ego. A friend of mine might have said that I was, in fact, beyond my limit. But um, I woke up this morning feeling perfectly rusted, zero hangover, no nothing. I felt fantastic. Um, let me preface that by saying that I had gone to the gym and trained jujitsu very intense for the last three days in a row leading up to that. And even still, you'd figure you'd be extra banged up because you drank the night before. I actually feel great. I have zero, uh, zero pain. The only pain that I have are like from physical bruises that I have, but no joint pain, which, which would be something that would be super typical for me, especially after a night of drinking, especially after training. My ketones uh, were the highest that they were all week, um, a whopping 3.5. I think the highest number that I had this week was like 1.8. Not that it's matter. Not that it matters. Wow! 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 Stop for a second. Mm -hmm. So when was when you took that? Where were you? Was it early in the morning? Was it in the middle of the day? Was it after? You know, give me a little context around uh, that. Within a couple hours. Uh, three point. That 3.5 reading was like closer to noon. I leave all of my monitoring equipment at the office. Just because I'm trying to break myself out of the lifestyle habit and trying to break myself out of the whole numbers game. Um, just so I can, you know, have some peace of mind with what I'm doing with my diet versus doing the diet just to get number results. Because I'm the type of person who is susceptible to that type of stuff. So it was... It was noon, but noon, and you hadn't eaten anything since the day before, or had some breakfast, or since the night before. Uh, um, if you look at my chronometer, it says that I had um, it says that I had an omelet, but that was actually at like probably like one something in the morning. Not not even that was probably at like twelve thirty forty five ish one ish. Yeah, that was it was an early night. What day are you on talking about? I mean, this is a great software here, so I can go back to whatever day. Oh, I'm actually talking what about today. I'm actually talking about today, the eighth. Oh. So last night, yesterday, the seventh was the day that I had actually gone out, and you'll see I had a whopping three ounces of whiskey, which I would like to go ahead and just preface this by saying really quick, there's actually an incredible amount of calories in there. If someone told me three ounces of whiskey <laughs> was 196 calories, I would tell you that you were straight lying, but that is 
That's actually what it says here. That's that's a great, can I interject here? Because the whole alcohol thing applies to everybody, whether they want to talk about it or not. And we know there's basically three different kinds of alcohols, and I'm not talking cordials or digesties. Um, we're talking about beer as a category. We're talking about wine as a category. We're talking about spirits, which is anything from tequila, whiskey, scotch, uh, vodka, and so on. So uh, relative to blood sugar, the most dramatic change you can have with alcohol will be beer, and it's strictly a carb content. Wine is both left and right in the sense that it doesn't have anything to do with uh, red versus white, by the way. It has to do with dry versus sweet. Mm -hmm. So dry is basically, well, depending on how dry you want it, you can get it right down to void, devoid as of none present of sugar, and you can have very sweet, which is heavily sugar. Mm -hmm. But on, in in that wine category, there's also a kind of wine. There's a couple of companies are coming out now that one's called Fit Wine that you can get at uh, most wine stores now. There's dry farm wines, which you order. And these are wines that they know have completely fermented, which means there is no sugar in this wine at all. So this is, in essence, it's marketed as a keto wine. Yes, it has calories, but it doesn't have sugar. So that's that. The other, the other is, and they're all pretty neck and neck, all the spirits. If you're talking about vodka to tequila to to uh, rye, scotch, whiskey, they are just a smidgen's difference. But assuming you don't put any sort of sweet drink in it, you've now stripped down, you're as close as just alcohol and water, which is what vodka is, right? It's just ethyl alcohol and water. And they they may not move your blood sugar, your your blood ketones at all. But yeah, they do have, and you will feel it. I mean, you're Class A, uh, you will feel it quickly, more quickly, and um, it is you know you have to burn off the uh, the alcohol. The other thing I wanted to add is that when you have alcohol, it then gets moved to the front of the list in terms of things that need to, that will be burned by the body in terms of energy. So al- it's then alcohol, and then it's ketones, and then it's glucose. So it simply puts a pause on your ketosis. It doesn't take you out of it unless you did the beer thing yeah, and, and the, or the very sweet wines. And so that's what happens when you burn off that alcohol, then it goes back to the ketones if you were in ketosis before. But it's very interesting. And um, it, it, is that why you started with whiskey? I mean, were you thinking along those lines or did you just want to try something different? The reason why I chose the whiskey is because I felt it was like the most like neutral option. I definitely wasn't going to do beer, but the the whole thing is is that you know if I'm going to do it, you know what would a recommendation that somebody be? And like let's say you know for all the people out there that do want to try something, you know uh, I thought thought whiskey was definitely the best choice. No, I think that's excellent. I think that's excellent, and uh, your reactions were case perfect. I wanted to say I just read two studies last week that actually showed, this is to amend what I just said earlier, that showed that alcohol, in the phase in which alcohol is being consumed, that it actually will lower your glucose, and people go, oh, that's a good thing. Well, it's like, it's a bogus thing, you know? I mean, it's, it clearly <laughs> has nothing to do with ketosis, it has to do with the alcohol, because it, it now steps in front of the glucose, and therefore, uh, your insulin actually drops down, and therefore... For the short term, it's kind of fine, but you know that's it is an effect. So the other thing I was going to say, and you will, I'm sure, try this because we all do. Uh, you're going to say, so what will beer feel like when I'm in ketosis? When you kind of go through the rabbit hole in the opposite direction, meaning you're now going to go back to the world you came from, which is uh, glucosis and uh, glucose burning as a primary fuel, 
you'll go back through probably a headache and probably not feeling well before that gets to be the norm again. So you you kind of have the the shock value of of all the work it took to get into ketosis. Remember, we had the ketone flu and all this other stuff. And now when you go back in the opposite direction, you get a sting as well. So uh, you'll find it sometimes inadvertent. It's not so much beer will be inadvertent. You'll be conscious of that. But when you're at somebody's situation and they're having some of that coleslaw or something else that is actually dropping your ketones and you're unaware of it, at some point you're going to go, I have this headache and I don't know what it is. Or uh, I just don't feel great. Are you going to feel tired suddenly? Just like... It will. It was when you were low glucose. You're gonna go. I gotta sit down. I gotta go to sleep. Uh, so it's just an interesting set of symptoms that you'll experience going in the reverse direction as well. Interesting. You know, I can definitely say that I was for sure more tired over the course of this last week. And I mean, I know for a fact that my ketone levels were the lowest that they had been since my first week's starting. Do you think that that could have been a similar case for me in the course of the last week or so? regarding my mood or how I was feeling regarding how tired I was. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and you'll and you'll find out for yourself since because you're that kind of guy, you have the data, you know how to do it, you'll keep track and you'll find out if it's correlated with the length of your fingernails. I have no doubt. I'm just kind of being facetious there, but no, absolutely that th- that's what will happen. And first you won't be aware of it and then you go back and you go, so that's what this is about. And that's the kind of aha you'll get. Uh, but having the data will allow you to track and correlate uh, all these things to the point to that you We'll know the consequences, and those are fine, consequences of certain situations. And so it's not weird or unusual or some particular disease, but this is, you know, how you do it. So then it becomes, I'll just endure it. It's not a big deal. You know, I'll, uh, it's not uh, irrevocable. Um, I was going to add to that. I know this is about you, and it should be about you. But I mm-hmm. um, I inadvertently tried a, uh, I did an experiment. It's like I my ketones usually run between... Uh, four and seven, what they call millimoles per, per liter. And my glucose is usually in the uh, uh, mid-70s, but let's say call it 75. That's my norm within a little bit. So um, we had an old stash of macadamia nuts. The thing about nuts is they are like potato chips in the sense that one is you can't have one. And the other is there is so much false information about, I won't say the danger. I'm not talking about allergies or anything else. It's like, there is plenty of carbs. And so macadamia nuts, right? They're supposed to be the high fat. And you, you read about, you know, it has the highest fat, correct, of any nuts other than peely nuts, which are pretty esoteric from the Philippines, uh, mm-hmm. of any nut out there. So therefore, they're recommended as if you're going to have a nut, you know, have a macadamia nut. And then it's pecans and they're pretty neck and neck. Well, my my glucose was, uh, so my ketones are 4.8. My glucose was uh, 74 had my uh, macadamia nuts. We were just going to watch something on Netflix. I don't think we even got an hour into it. And I started feeling a little off. And I uh, took my readings because I want to see it. I had dropped down to 1.1 and glucose rose to 102, probably on, on the way to getting higher and the ketones on the way to getting lower. So those are the things that if I wasn't habitually taking my numbers or at least saying, I'm going to pop up and see what these numbers are about this, is like I probably would have bought the hype that's popular out there by saying, ah, you know, macadamia nuts, they're fine. They are a big danger. Any nut's a big danger. I'm not saying they're unhealthy. You can speak well of, Mm -hmm. you know, Brazil nuts with selenium, you know, but a lot is going to totally tank. And it's that, that and dairy, nuts and dairy are the two categories that people can't stop eating. I mean, or the most, they do stop eating them, or they just can't 
just have a little love and saying, that's fine, I'm done. Few people can do that. They don't have a little cheese and that's fine, I'm done. They go, I want the whole freaking pizza, please. But um, <laughs> anyway, so. No, yeah, I mean, you- it's true. I mean, not for nothing. I mean, I, I eat, okay, uh, I'm eating cheese every day. I'm doing, um, I'm doing some sort of uh, butter almost every day. If I'm making coffee, you better believe I'm putting the heavy whipping cream in there. But uh, but yeah, I mean, regarding that, I mean, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at my ketone numbers and the lowest reading. Of, okay, so my 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 regular readings were like somewhere in between like two and a half and like three, pretty regularly through for almost the entire month of March. It looked like one of the first times that I actually took a blood reading. Um, it was actually pretty high. I mean, I'd, I'd say so for considering how long I had been doing the diet for. It was 4.7 um, was the number that I got. And then it came down to 3.5, then to 2.7. And then it basically chilled somewhere between uh, 1.9 and 3 pretty regularly. But then somewhere, something like towards the end of the month, it was like, somewhere between the 21st and the 24th. And I, I kind of want to look at my diet and see what changed in that time. But I went from three to getting a reading 1.6. And then after that, it was 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9, 0. 0.9, 0. 0.9, 1.6, 1.6, 0.9, 1.8. And then now it was really only this week when I got like the higher numbers. And today I'm, I'm up at 3.5. I can definitely say with full certainty that in these last two weeks regarding energy, I've probably been the lowest that I've been. And I don't want to say that it had anything to do with the numbers because there were days that I actually skipped checking my ketone numbers just to give myself some peace of mind, just so I could mull over and just think about how it is that I feel. But um, I really want to look at, you know, what my diet was like during that time to see if what I was eating had any kind of effect on it or if it was just some freak thing, because I can't imagine why that would have been the case. But uh, should you know, um, today I checked my blood glucose and it was the lowest that it's probably been since I ever started checking it. And I got a reading of 66. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's that's a really good. I feel good. You know, I know the last time I was in the 60s, I wasn't feeling good at all. I feel like that's definitely an improvement. Yeah. And that brings up a point about, obviously, it's, we tend to go through the drill of looking at food and, and measuring that relative to what's ketogenic, et cetera. And those, those are all, all true and you need to do that. But what is happening in the background and which is uh, kind of immeasurable is an efficiency. It's changing. Your mitochondria are becoming more efficient. And the ones that are old and not very functioning, they've actually been kicked out. So being in ketosis favors the healthy and doesn't favor the unhealthy mitochondria. So that's the efficiency of consumption. Uh, The other is efficiency of production. So uh, both are separate facilities. They happen, separate functions. They happen in different places. Production's all about the liver, uh, 99.9%. And consumption is tissue-specific heart, brain, muscle, uh, vascular system. And so this is changing uh, with the consistency that you're being in ketosis. And so that's a big deal. The other thing, when I look at food, so I'm looking at your food now, and what I would say is uh, we all have this love affair with dairy. You know, dairy wouldn't be as popular as it is if it wasn't that's the case. But if you felt that you still wanted, I mean, I assume you still want to lose weight. We have the numbers there. What I would do, and I would say, let's say you have your fat coffee. I can't remember if you do or not, but I would I would make fat not with dairy because dairy is not just about calories. It's not just about blood sugar. It's about a lot of other 
potential antibodies that block various receptors. And we'll get into that later when we get into uh, the topic of dairy, but we won't do that today. But if you swapped out dairy, I'm looking at sour cream. Okay, that goes on. Maybe you put it on your pork and bacon or you put it on your omelet, whatever. I would say don't do that for maybe a week, maybe this week, and pour on a little of the C8. You're going to, why would I do that? One, it's going to add taste, take my word for it, but it's going to fill you up faster. And it's a much more efficient converter to to ketones um, and ketone bodies in general. If you did that, you would get two boosts. You would actually consume fewer calories. And this isn't always about calories in, calories out. This is going to be a sense of fullness. Also, it's going to be a decrease or perhaps an elimination for a little bit of dairy. And that's going to make a big difference. And if you did that and got it out, I don't know if a week's going to be able, you'll have a sense of just your emotional feeling. But um, usually people have to go off dairy for longer, but you didn't have a big dairy problem. You liked dairy. It wasn't creating you problems. So if you tried that, you'd be dropping calories and you'd be getting, you'd be taking an obstacle out of the way as well. So I would expect probably a number similar to what you got today. Three, five and 66. Yeah. 3.5 and 66. Those are pretty darn good numbers. I would say your blood sugar is not going to go down much lower. Probably a good number was will hover in the mid-70s. Even in the 80s are fine. But I think your ketones are going to start striking an average of 3.5 to 4.5. Um, and I think that's a nice place to be. I read something initially regarding uh, ketone levels. Now, now I know better, but it's quote unquote dangerous to have high ketone levels because you have to be concerned about ketoacidosis. How legitimate is that? Because I know that the numbers that you consistently are in and the numbers that I'm getting now are quote unquote within that range. Some people do write that and it's total tripe. You know, it's absolutely total tripe. And why do I know that? Because uh, I get to stay connected to people in the field and I have my own numbers. But ketoacidosis, if you plug that in and Google it, ketoacidosis are numbers up in the 25s. And um, ketoacidosis is specifically referred to in connection with those who are diabetics. And so what happens, it's an interesting, mm. it's an interesting sequence because it, it still speaks to understanding what is a ketogenic diet about. And obviously, we know ketogenic diet came from epilepsy, but it is also is then used for diabetics. So what happens is that we have a normal person that starts eating a lot of carbs. They start having higher levels of average blood sugars. Your insulin starts to increase, trying to keep down that glucose. Um, it goes on for a long period of time. And now your insulin is higher because it's having to be higher to meet the higher glucose demand on a regular basis for this person's, you know, a standard American diet, then that's going to make this person fatter because glucose stores things, takes glucose out, puts it in muscle, puts it in fat, just gets it out of the bloodstream. It's saying we need it lower. So it's about get the glucose out of the bloodstream, store it wherever. So it keeps doing that. People are pretty heavy. Their glucose probably hasn't changed that much. They're still doing their diet. The insulin needs to be a little higher now. It starts to burn out. So the beta cells in the pancreas that produce the glucose start to crash saying, I'm just working so hard, I don't get a break, and they burn out. And so now we're in trouble. We now have higher glucose because this diet's person hasn't changed their diet, probably gotten worse. But now the insulin is just starting to poop out. So now they have to start 
this is how they're treated today, they must be taking more insulin to get this effect, and still it's a losing battle. So what happens is your cells start getting numb to receiving glucose, and so it's no longer getting fed glucose because it's being stored away. So now the body's doing the same response as if you were starving, even though you're high glucose, you've made them tone deaf to receiving and using glucose as a fuel in mitochondria. So it starts to produce ketones. So now you have a high glucose, which is really not being used much. Now your ketones are starting to rise naturally as this alternative fuel, which it should be. So this is called ketoacidosis. Your ketones start getting higher for a fuel that the body is dying to eat something. It's And it has high glucose. So that's the process of of type 2 diabetes, pretty much in a nutshell. The organs start to burn out, like the pancreas, as I mentioned, uh, then the liver. So you get, it's called fatty liver and fatty pancreas. Could go to liver failure, so they call that non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Or So anyways, that's that's ketoacidosis in a nutshell. So when people say that, uh, it's almost like a poem they're reciting. Ketones? What do <laughs> I know? Ketoacidosis, but they don't know much about that. And And I find like, I don't know where you are with the internet and social media. For every everything there's good and valid, there's also the antithesis out there with a certain motive by saying, no, that's not good. So long before the ketogenic diet became very popular, uh, it was about antioxidants into the 90s. You know, it's like saying, eat fresh fruits and vegetables, nat- natural antioxidants. Well, you come to doctors and say, well, you know, you're going to have too much antioxidants. Uh, really? I didn't know that. I mean, you could, you could eat too many vegetables? Uh, and they would say... <laughs> They would just say that like, well, everything can be too much in one direction. That's that's true, but it's nearly an impossibility unless you're choking down horse pills of antioxidants to to tilt your body out of that. So too is it in the ketogenic diet that the amount of work and effort it would take for me or you to get to those ketone levels in the 25s, I think that you'd have to die, you know, nearly. You know, uh, for instance, Domenico Agostino, he did a seven-day fast, and of course, he had the whole lab to, to measure him. His glucose at the end of the week got down to, uh, I think it was the 30s. You know, that's pretty far, mm. pretty low. And what were his ketones? His ketones were not that, that high. And so that's out there, seven-day fast of water fast only. So it would take a lot. It would probably be on the way to, even if you were starving, so if you got lost in the woods, you know, on a hike and got separated and you had no food to eat and you weren't clever enough to find food or whatever and eventually just starved to death over that month or two months, what would your ketones be? They would obviously climb, but your body's not very efficient at making it. And so you would probably, you know, die sooner than later. And somebody who was in ketosis would probably last another month because they could handle that. But your numbers wouldn't get that high to 25 plus. So it's a good question. And it's at the tips of a lot of people's tongues when they get started with this, but it's uh, almost an impossible situation to get into. If they were diabetic, type 2 and type 1, certainly, they'd have to be followed, you know, so you wouldn't just be telling telling them to wing it. They'd, they'd need to be disciplined and uh, track their blood. And they, they, and they would have probably a, a normal response, but they need to be tracking for sure. You know, you would think that that would that being such an important detail that maybe they would include it. I've seen articles written in 
nutrition forums, fitness forums, stuff like that about people basically not recommending ketogenic diet to people uh, for specifically that purpose. I mean, I don't know how often bodybuilders are at risk for things like diabetes. I can't imagine it wouldn't be that often. That's interesting. You know, yes and no, because uh, it, it's that's a, an easy assumption to make. But what you have, bodybuilders. And so bodybuilders, let's see, historically, they went through a whole drug phase, right? The, mm-hmm. the uh, I was about to say cortisol, the steroids for sure. So there's steroids that make you grow, obviously. That's what the muscles are about, growth hormones and steroids. And so they also mm-hmm. raise your blood sugar. So though in that ilk of uh, bodybuilders, they would probably have a more consistently high and then artificially high blood sugar due to that to get their muscles. So then say, all right, let's take all that out. So we, we now have bodybuilders that are not using steroids or any of those things that, that uh, build muscle and increase, you know, in essence, cortisol and all the others increase your blood sugar. So they're just doing it, quote unquote, naturally. Not, we're not even talking about uh, creatine or any of these others that just working out and pushing hard. Well, you'll find that when you work out hard, you push yourself out of ketosis because you when you push hard, you do need glucose beyond and in addition to ketones and your ketones cannot keep up. And they find that with, with endurance athletes, but when they adapt, they will always be uh, producing a high level of ketones in addition to their glucose. But you take somebody who's just works out all the time, there again, they've self-induced a high sugar environment that will last for a couple hours more than it, probably five or six hours after they've worked out. So it actually is a high sugar, self-induced state. So sugar, of course, I mean glucose. Um, so that's it. So that's the reality behind it. So it's more more connected than you think. Initially, you think, well, they're not eating sugar, like they're not having a Snickers bar and so on and so forth. But then there's the third reality. I don't know what gym you go, you go to, but how many bottles do you see of, you know, jacked this or jacked that or, you know, uh, uh, what are all the energy drinks? You know, they want to be jacked so they can, you know, so it's like, that's blood sugar, baby. That That's a jack up on the blood sugar and maybe a few other things, but primarily it's the blood sugar. So these guys can, you know, push more weights than they could before. In in those particular cases. So for somebody like myself, like before I was trying to keep up with any type of consistent diet and I would go to jiu-jitsu and I would push myself, I would do sessions where... I would show up, I would train for two hours and spar, and then I would like take a half hour break. I'd box for like the next like 60 to 80 minutes, and then I would do like a jiu-jitsu class or two after that. And then maybe if I was up to, I'd do kettlebells, and those would be like days where I'd be completely blown out. If I'm a person who's consuming sugar regularly and I'm going through these types of motions without any real consistency, right? Like say every other weekend, right? I'm, I'm able to get the time to do those. Regarding my blood sugar and how that's going to change my mood and affect my appetite and everything, is that going to more or less throw me out of whack if I'm consuming sugar? Like if I don't, if I'm not regularly making sure that I'm feeding myself and having a balanced diet and all of that stuff, not doing ketosis? That's a great question. I would say mostly no, and here's the qualified answer is with those hard workouts, even if you were in ketosis, that you would push yourself out of ketosis, but if you had been pretty well fat-adapted, keto-adapted, you would spring back in very quickly. So when you got back home, it wouldn't be like you had a can of Coke throughout the day, that you would return to normal, normal, your new normal being you're in ketosis, and so your default to the norm would be back to ketosis 
I thought you were going to ask during this long day of bouting and kettlebells and so on and so forth, that if a person who is on a non-ketogenic diet, they would bottom out. They would get to these points, that's it, I'm done. And you know how that feel that feels. It's like, I, it just, the, the gas got shut off, guys. I, I, I can hardly get off the mat anymore. I got to go home or go get something to eat or whatever. And actually, that's where alcohol feels good for most people because it's an immediate burn. You know, it's immediate energy. It goes... That's why people go, hey, let's go catch a beer afterwards. You know, they don't necessarily say, hey, let's go get a donut. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the thinking is very similar, and it's kind of a, a visceral sort of reaction. So um, so one can go, and you go, well, wait a minute, I heard if I was in ketosis, and that's a whole exogenous ketone thing, so if I take all those, then actually I will burn less oxygen, and I'll be able to lift more weight or do more work for for these particular calories. And that is true. And so a person who was in ketosis that pushed himself as much as you did would backslide into a glycolysis, burning of glucose. And, but with a little rest, they'd come back into ketones. So they wouldn't hit those, I'm done. They might hit, I'm tired, but they'd be ready to go sooner, faster, and maybe as, as good as they went before. So it's a, it's a long-term. You need the sugar for the, uh, for the fast moves, like the MMA fighters and so on. And certainly I would guess jujitsu as well. But when you train with low glucose foods and uh, you then compete with some of those available, if you really get that wiped out and you've got a whole day, that seems to be the perfect competitive combination, but only only either uh, using those glucose foods, and I'm using that word very loosely, uh, for a day or so around the competition days. Because you need, they fire faster on glucose, slower on, on ketones, but long term it's about endurance. That's the ketone thing. Okay, let's look, keep an eye on wrapping up. Uh, we have covered a lot of ground today. And uh, the whole athletics, we can almost make that a separate topic uh, apart from, you know, it could be in a QA or something like that because you can go deep on that. And there's a lot of interesting research that is very actionable for most people. So uh, we'll, we'll go get to that later. So in the future, topics that hopefully we will get to in one form or another is that going through, if, when you do 23andMe, we'll go through some of that data and we'll look at some sets of genes that could uh, help you or the ketogenic diet can help a lot and we'll address some other ones that uh, can be addressed or why you might want to be aware of them. And I'm not just looking for things like cancer this or cancer that. We're talking about metabolic functions that that a diet can help a lot uh, or not, depending on the genes we find. And then down the road, we might even look at some lab work that we can share. But these are things to look at that we've started with something simple. We've started about, you know, how do you get, you know, let's track our, ma- create our macros, track our macros, track our biomarkers. And you got that on a roll. You've dropped some weight. Uh, you have some, should you want to drop more weight, you can certainly do that as well. Um, and it's about efficiency of food, learning how to change some of your variables, and you're all over it. So I look for uh, the next few sessions as well. Anything else that you can think that is burning in the back of your mind, a discovery, a question, uh, a thought um, that can be shared? If not, we will. No, I'm just um, I'm just going to be looking forward to um, the changes that I make um, using the MCT oil and the coconut oil in place of you know, using dairy uh, as often as I do and just seeing what changes it's going to have, uh, how I'm going to feel 
and uh, what that's going to mean for me regarding how much food, if that's going to make a, any difference or not, I consume. Good, good. Now, so that would be a big deal. It, and and it's, it's just, this isn't an N of one on that. There's many people that have done exactly what we did. What, four years ago, our fat coffee, for instance, was butter and uh, the heavy cream and all these other things. And we then retreated to just uh, some coconut oil. And then we added C8 as we discovered that. And now it's just C8. So play with that. But I, the one thing that is very noteworthy to do, whatever, when you think your meal is done before you add the cheese and what you would have done, you know, pour over some of the C8. You're going to go, how did this meal suddenly get so, so filling? You know, even you just start with a little bit, you're going to find you're going to end up eating maybe half as much or two thirds because you did add some calories, but you also added a sense of satiation. Well, thanks, Brian. It has been, you know, it's like, uh, I love getting all the information. I said, I wonder what Brian did this week. And I get to see the data, get to hear the conversations. And uh, it's all very exciting to see change happen in people. Absolutely. Thanks for having me along. Okay. So until next time, take care, Brian. Take care. Thanks for listening. For anybody who has any questions, feel free to contact me on our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Same name as our podcast. I'm open to any questions and we plod through the good and the bad, the difficult and the easy week after week.